it, Red Arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine till the cup is dry and kiss the girls on down the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host Justin, and this is chapter 11, Tarvalon. So for a quick recap, um, chapter 10, we had Egwene's point of view, which I believe we are still in, in chapter 11. Um, basically, they're trying to get to Tarvalon, it's pretty much within sight, but... They kind of get waylaid by some white cloaks, and instead of listening to Varen Sedai, they do their own thing, cause a lot of problems, get yelled at by Varen, and the white cloaks find out more information than they should have found out, and they pretty much bypass. But then they come to the outskirts of this little village, which we find out is in chapter 11, is the village of Darain which is just outside one of the um, bridges. It would be, I guess, the Middle South Bridge, I guess. That's <laughs> the easiest way to say it. Um, and we're going to get a little history about it here at the beginning of Chapter 11, where the small village Darren was sitting beside the River Ernin pretty much as long as Tarvalon, Tarvalon had occupied the island. And... It's got some red and brown brick houses that are pretty small shops and it seems like it's been there for forever but here's a little historical note the village had been burned in the trollic wars sacked when Arthur hawkwing's armies besieged tarvalon looted more than once during the war of the hundred years and put to the torch again in the aiel war not quite 20 years before that's probably why they upgraded to brick <laughs> let's be honest um so, it seems like this little village has pretty much been having a rough time in history. But because it's at the foot of one of the bridges leading to uh, Tarvalon, it pretty much means it's always going to rebuild no matter how many times it's destroyed, as long as Tarvalon was still here. So, from Egwene's perspective, Darain looks like it's going to go to war again. Seeing that there's a square of pikemen marching along the streets, the ranks and files, you know, clamoring as usual. But they're also followed by bowmen, and the description for the bowmen is flat-rimmed helmets with filled quivers riding at their hips and bows slanted across their chests. Um, not sure how I feel about the bow slanted across their chests, just because you don't want to leave your bow strung for too long, lest it lose its punch pun intended but yeah so they have their bows slanted across their chests and there's a squadron of armored horsemen with their faces hidden behind the steel bars of their helmets so that means you're going to have some form of a heavy cavalry cavalry whatever sheesh I always blur words <laughs> um, but they all make way for Varen and her party um, with an officer giving the wave through. Um, they wear the white flame of Tarvalon, which is like a snowy teardrop on their breasts. So it seems like the township is bustling and the people who live there just kind of going around. No big deal. There's a market and soldiers are marching around and 
everyone's moving around it like it's a commonality and no one really cares because it's just what they're expecting. But shopkeeper, shopkeepers and hawkers are trying to uh, tout their wares but aren't really paying attention to the soldiers. <clears throat> so they get to the foot of the bridge where there's even more soldiers. There's about a dozen pikemen and about six archers. Um, pretty much checking anybody who wants to come in to go across. And the officer is a balding man with his helmet hanging on his sword hilt. And he feels like, it looks like he's being harassed by the waiting line of people. And this got from people from anyone who's bringing in, I would assume, produce, fruits, vegetables, uh, products that they want to trade inside the city. Um, get to the docks probably is a big one. And it's the line seems to be only 100 paces long, which is still a long line. But every time one uh, was let onto the bridge, another one joined at the other end. And, and it's probably going to be a two-way street where people are going in and out for trade and stuff. Whether they have uh, merchant wagons or peddler type stuff. <coughs> But um, he almost got angry when Varen shows up with her party. But then when he sees the look at her face, he just like, oh, shoves his helmet on his head. And, you know, good morrow to you. I said, I good morrow. Good. Right across if it pleases you. And but she kind of like stops and there's seems like a murmur and no one says any complaints, though. He's like, oh, are you having trouble with the White Cloaks, Guardsman? And Egwene's like, why are we stopping? But then she says out loud, which I don't know why. Has she forgotten about Matt? That should have been a thought, in my opinion, but... The officer's like, no, not fighting. Um, they tried to move to the Eldone Market, the other side of the river, but... We showed them better. The Omerlin means to make sure they don't try again. Egwene's like, uh, Varen said I. And she's like, eh, in a moment. He's like, I have not forgotten him. And then he goes, oh, and the outlying villages? He's like, well, we can't keep the white cloaks out. But they move off on our patrols right in. They seem trying to goad us. Varen nodded and was about to go on in, but the officer asks again. He's like, oh. Pardon, I said I, but you've obviously come from a distance. Have you any news? Fresh rumors come upriver with every trading vessel. They say there's a new false dragon out west somewhere. Why, they even say he has Ardor Hawkwing's armies back from the dead following him, and that he killed a lot of white cloaks and destroyed a city. Falma, they call it, and Terabon, some say. And somebody in the line's like, They say I said I helped him. And Huron breathes in deeply and shifts himself, expecting violence or something. But Egwene looks around, but they can't find any sign of whoever shouted, but everyone seems to be concerned with just waiting patiently or impatiently for their turn to cross the bridge. Um, but things have changed, but not really for the better. And when she had left Tarvalon, any man who spoke against I said I would have been lucky to escape with a punch in the nose from whoever overheard. Red in the face, the officer's glaring at the line, though. And Varys is like, oh, don't listen to that. Rumors are seldom true. I can tell you that Falma still stands. It isn't even in Terrabond, guardsman. 
Listen less to rumor and more to the Amarlin seat. The light shine on you. She lifts her reins and he bows and everyone goes past him onto the bridge. And the bridge is this amazing piece of wonder and they always do because this open work walls, pretty much this lace frame, like it's a pretty cool looking one. Um, and it's about 50 paces above the water. And for that, it's a half a mile of a bridge. Um, and it's unsupported from the riverbank to island. So I'm assuming they're using some form of like Roman bridge, <laughs> at least Roman style bridge, where the basically the stones push together so much pressure that it keeps it from collapsing. It's interesting to find the architectural work in some of these fantasy type books and whatnot. And sometimes they even reflect real life, which is cool. <coughs> All right. So there's a lot more description, but I'll leave that to you guys to read. Um, but there's no guards at the bronze clad gates. They just open up pretty much big enough for 20 abreast to ride through. Um, and the city takes Egwene's breath like she had never seen it before, which she has, but as if she hadn't. Um, there's every square and street crossing had its fountain or its monument statue with great columns and size towers. But it's the city itself that is like dazzling to the eye. And... What might be normal ornaments and ornamentation, decoration and whatnot, uh, it's pretty standout-ish for pretty much everything else. Like, they're all just really cool. Um, just big buildings, small buildings, stone of every color, looking like shells or waves, wind-sculpted cliffs, flowing fanciful... Um, the dwellings, inns, stables, most insignificant buildings in Tarvalon had been made with beauty in mind. And ogre, uh, stonemasons pretty much built the city in the long years after the breaking of the world and they maintained it and it had been their greatest masterpiece. So now we get a description of what the population of Tarvalon is. And ironically, it makes perfectly good sense where most countries and nations and people groups and whatnot uh, are pretty heavily homogenized in their locations. Meaning that if you go to one place, you're going to see, like, if you go to Kyrian, for example, you're going to see a lot of Kyrian with the rare trader or visitor or something being that that's their main population. And if you go, say, to, like, Altara, you'll find a very different type of people. If you go up to Arad Daman, you're going to find a very different type of people, which means that anytime you go to these places, you're going to see a lot of really cool, unique sites that you're never going to see anywhere else, at least on the scale that you might expect. Like, Arad Daman, the women are the merchants because of their seductive style to more or less take advantage of a deal by seducing a man out of his money and his agreements. 
but also when you see a woman from Arad Daman, they have an almost transparent dress that's very form-fitting, and that's something that will stand out to you because you're like, oh, you see them, they're coppery skin, you're like, oh, that person's from Arad Daman. It's a Damani woman. And uh, you go to Kyran, they're like very pale, very short, men shave their heads, um for like military matters and whatnot. And they always wear drab clothing and stuff. Like there's a lot of culturally specific things that each place is known for giving them a life of their own and a story of their own behind it. But here in Tarvalan, you get men and women of every nation thronging the streets. They were dark of skin and pale and everything in between. Their garments are in bright colors and patterns or drab, but decked with fringes and braids and shining buttons, or stark and severe, showing more skin than Egwene thought proper, or revealing nothing but eyes and fingertips. And this is a little touch on all the other nations in the world at this point, (coughs) at least in this, uh, this continent, Randland, as it's lovingly referred to. Um... But it kind of shows you that there are a lot of different ones. I mean, anytime it's like showing more skin, you're like, oh, that's the the, the Domani. <laughs> like, that's definitely probably them. Or they could be Altarans, I suppose, as well. Maybe Terraboners. Um, Kyrian's a little bit more fickle about that, so they don't really do that. Tyr doesn't have any particular type of culture, cultural gowns and stuff that would do that that I can think of. Um, so it's more of the Western nations for the most part, obviously up North, they don't do it a whole lot because it's you know, really bloody cold. <laughs> um, but because this is a trade capital of the world kind of thing, everyone from everywhere is all kind of packed in here. Some are more permanent because it's a great place for trade. Some people are probably less permanent. Um, but either way, it makes perfect sense that they're all here. It's really cool to see all the different types. But she also notices that there's a lot of carriages um, and street musicians, entertainment, shopkeepers. But Varen pulls up her cowl again, hiding her face. And no one really get, is paying them any mind. But Egwene rides up next to Varen and she's like, well, do you expect trouble now that we're in the city? We're almost there. And she's like, well, I always expect trouble and you should as well. And the tower, most definitely of all. You must all of you be more careful than ever now. Your uh, (coughs) tricks frightened away the white cloaks. And then she gives a little bit of uh, information. But inside the tower, they may well bring you death or stilling. The queen's like, oh, I wouldn't do that in the tower. None of us would. And then even Elaine joined them with just Huron leaving the lit- to the litter and everything. And they nodded and Elaine very fervently. And Nynaeve just seems like as if she was like, eh, if I have to. And Varen's like, you should not do it ever again, child. You must not ever. And she eyes them from the side and you know, round the edge of her cowl and shakes her head. It's like, I truly hope you've learned the folly of speaking when you should be silent. 
and the lady's face goes crimson, which I think is absolutely hilarious. <coughs> Excuse me. But, um, and Egwene, cheeks, like, blush really hard. Um, it's like, well, once we enter the tower grounds, hold your tongues and accept whatever happens. And I'm like, that worked out the first time extremely well. But who knows? Maybe they've learned their lesson, right? And it's like, well, whatever happens, whatever happens, you accept. You know, nothing of what awaits us in the tower. If you did, you would not know how to handle it. So be silent. And Egwene's like, I will do as you say, Varen Sedai. And Elaine, you know, re repeats the same thing. And Nynaeve sniffs, but the Varen <laughs> just stares at her and she nods reluctantly. So the street opens up and they get the square and at the middle of the square stood the white tower. Like this is a massive square, mind you. But no one intrudes on the tower unless they have business there. And Egwene <laughs> reminds herself that quite uneasily. Huron leads the horse litter forward as they enter the square. And he's like, uh, Varen said, I must leave you now. And he's like eyeing the tower. And I just imagine, like, what is he smelling right now? Because he'd be perfect in the tower because he could find all the murderers and thieves and cutthroats that could ever possibly enter the place. <laughs> but Varen's like, oh, well, You've been a great help here in a long journey. It's been, there'll be a place in the tower for you to rest before you travel on. And he's like, Oh no, 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 no. I can't waste a day. I not even another hour. I have to return to Shinar to tell King Isar and Lord Agamar what actually happened at Falma. And I must tell him about, you know, <coughs> he whispers. He's like about Rand that the dragons reborn. There must be trading ships heading up river. And I mean to be on the next to sail. And Rand's like, well, go in the light then here in Shinar. And he says, the light illumine all of you. But then he hesitates and he's like, well, if you need me ever, just send word to Faldara. I'll find a way to come. He clears his throat like he's kind of embarrassed and he turns and trots away. And then soon he's gone amongst the throngs. And Nynaeve, who, of course, this fits her personality. is like, oh, men, they always say to send for them if you need them. But when you do need one, you need him right then. It's like, well, maybe you should be good at like foreseeing the future. <laughs> but it's even especially funny for Nynaeve because this is the thing with like Lan. And it's like, you know, if you need me, just send word and I will come and run. It's like, well, how am I supposed to get you if I need you right then and there? It's like, well, Nynaeve, if you stay out of trouble and stop diving into it head first at every opportunity, maybe, just maybe, you'd have some time to get somebody to help you. But then Varen responds to her silly remark with, well, no man can help you where we're going now. <laughs> and I'm just like picturing uh, uh, Eowyn from Lord of the Rings. I am no man. <laughs> well, you don't got no Eowyn either. And she's like, remember, be silent. And Egwene kind of feels a sense of loss with Huron leaving. And he barely talked to any of them but Matt. And Varen was right. He's only a man and helpless as a babe when it comes to facing whatever might weigh up in the tower. But his, his absence makes the party feel smaller. And, and maybe a man with a sword is just kind of useful to have around. Like, well, you'll hopefully become an Aes Sedai eventually, right? And... 
with becoming nice to die, picking a order, you can kind of get that privilege, but you got to earn it. Earn it and learn it or learn it and earn it, whatever you want to say. But he also has a link to Rand and Perrin. And he's like, oh, I have my own troubles. Rand and Perrin would have to make do with Moraine to look after them. I'm like, I'm pretty sure Moraine's a better choice than you, Egwene. You're 16, 17-ish. You don't even really know how to use the one power. You don't have any worldly knowledge. You don't have anything to offer Rand and Perrin except familiarity. That's literally it. And at this point, they're probably pretty familiar with Moraine, if not, you know, all of her secrets. But then she thinks, is like, oh, and men will certainly look after Rand. And she has a flash of jealousy that she tries to suppress. And she almost succeeds. <laughs> it's... If you guys remember that one from the end of uh, book two, that was great. So then she, you know, she sighs and they, she takes up here and spot the horse litter ahead. And Matt lays bundled to his chin with this dry rasp of breathing. And she's like, oh, soon, Matt, you're going to be healed and we'll find out what's waiting for us. But she wished Varen would stop trying to frighten them. Well, maybe you need to be more frightened because you keep doing what you're not supposed to. <clears throat> but Varen takes him around the tower grounds to a small gate that stands open and has two guards. But she pauses, pushes back her cow, leans from the saddle to speak softly to him. He gives a start and a surprised look at them. And he's, well, he pretty much says, as you command, I said, I and just takes off running. Um, Varen's already riding through the gate as he, as he spoke and she rides as if there's no hurry. And I can only think the reason she's not running faster is because she's trying not to alarm anyone, draw any unwanted eyes, that kind of thing, which completely contradicts everything that's about to happen. Um, and the three girls try to figure out what Varen told the man, but then they end up coming to a guardhouse inside the gate, and the small bit of guards are just lounging there and they're just talking but then they stop and then bow but then it becomes the tower grounds anyway becomes kind of like a lord's park with trees prune shrubs big graveled paths pretty cool place in my opinion it's a big park the path leads them to the stable yard amongst some trees and then some grooms come in get their horses um and then the stablemen at Farron's direction, uh, take the litter apart off of the horses and set it gently to one side. And the horses are led away into the stable and Varen just takes the leather stack from Matt's feet and tucks it carelessly under one arm, which this is under the guise of, I have a bag of something. It's not that important. Don't pay any mind to me, which is a lot better than holding it in high regard and getting everyone interested in what you're doing. So props to Varen. Now, Nynaeve was knuckling her back and frowns at Varen. He's like, well, you said he has hours, perhaps. Are you going to? And the Varen just holds up a hand. But whether it's the hand that sounds as Nynaeve or the crunch of approaching gravel uh, feet, I should say, feet crunching on the approaching, yeah, the feet approaching on the gravel, Egwene's not sure. But then Shiryam Sadai, the Mistress of Knowledges, shows up, followed by three accepted and two husky men in rough laborers' coats. And Shiryam is slightly pump, pump, <laughs> plump, uh, with high cheekbones that were common in Saldea. She's Saldean. 
flame red hair and clear tilted green eyes with a smooth Sedai features. Pretty striking. She eyes Egwene and the others calmly, but her mouth is tight. <clears throat> She's like, well, so you brought back our three runaways, Varen. With everything that happened, I could almost wish you had not. And Egwene's like, well, we didn't. And Varen's like about to just slap the ever-loving spit out of her mouth with a big be silent and just stares at her. And I'm thinking like, this is the second time. No, the third time you're told to shut up and you just refuse to listen. Tuck that away for later. Like it's going to be a reoccurring theme. Unfortunately. In this entire series. Refusing to listen. Just tuck that away. You're going to need it. I, I shouldn't have to say tuck it away. Since we've already seen three instances of it. In this. Between this and the last chapter. But. Egwene's like well. She had never seen Varen angry before. I'm like well maybe you need to see her angry more often. Since your brain is apparently way thicker but way more empty than any man's ever could because at least men have the decency to shut their mouths not to mention the intelligence which ironically the women go on and on and on about how they only think with the hairs on their chest and i'm like what does that leave women thinking with the empty hollow brain they have because this is clearly not working in their favor but i gotta say to Nynaeve's credit she doesn't say anything she just mutters to herself <laughs> Elaine also did okay, but I think that's because just Egwene beat her to the punch and she saw how Egwene got treated. So I don't know if she necessarily learned anything as much as just doesn't want to get anyone paying attention to her. But then um, the three accepted behind Shiriam kept their silence, but it seems like their ears are growing. Because, you know, women just cannot not hear everything and gossip about it. So that's a common theme in the series, too. Granted, it's not only against women. There are men who have their problems, too. You'll get to that those parts as well. So don't worry. It's, it's egalitarian in that format. It's actually pretty humorous in a lot of areas. So it's great. Um, but then, you know, when everyone's remaining still, Varen then turns around to Shiriam. He's like, the boy has to be taken somewhere isolated from everyone else he's very dangerously ill and dangerous to others as well as to himself and Cheryl motions the two guys that were coming and he's like i was told that you had a litter to be carried and then she speaks a word to them and they whisk matt away so Gwen opens her mouth to say he needs help now but varen's just staring at her and i'm just like oh my gosh Gwen, she needs to slap the spit out of you because you obviously do not know how to think or listen or anything. I get like Egwene is extremely infuriating in this part of the story. Like when the first book, she seemed like she had a good head on her shoulders. And then she quickly, when she thought she was going to become some sort of independent person who doesn't need any instructors. And she goes to the other side of the world. She instantaneously just loses her mind. But Varen stares quick and furious, and she closes her mouth, and then he was tugging at her brig, <laughs> almost hard enough to pull it out of her head. 
And Vera's like, well, I suppose everyone in the tower knows that we have returned by now. And Sherem's like, well, those who don't will know before much longer. Comings and goings have become the first topic of conversation and gossip, even before Falmo and far ahead of the war in Kyrian. Do you think to keep it secret? And Varen's like, well, I have to see uh, the armor immediately. And what are these three? Varen looks at her going into friends, and I'm like, oh, please, just smack her. Just smack her. Do it. It's like, well, they have to be closely held until the Omerlin wishes to see them, if she wishes to. Closely held, but their own rooms will do. I don't think a uh, need for cells, but not a word to anyone. And while she's speaking to Sheriam, Egwene knew that the last had been meant as a reminder to her and the others. Um, but yeah, she, Nanny was jerking on her braid, and she wants to hit something, and Elaine's blue eyes were open wide, and her face was even paler than usual. <laughs> But Egwene was not sure what feelings she had. Anger, maybe fear, maybe a little bit of worry, maybe all three. But then, you know, there's a searching glance at her three traveling companions. Varian hurries off, carrying the, the sack to her chest, with her cloak flapping behind her. And Sherian puts her fists on her hips and studies Egwene and the other two. And for a moment, you know, they're waiting. And then Sherian just keeps a steady temper and... Typically has a sympathetic sense of humor, even when she's trying to give you extra chores for breaking the rules. But her voice is pretty grim when she speaks. She's like, oh, not a word, she said. And not a word it shall be. If one of you speaks, except to answer an eye to die, of course, I'll make you wish you had nothing but a switching and a few hours scrubbing floors to worry about. Do you understand? And they all say, yeah, yes, I, yes, I said I. But Nynaeve almost pronounced it like a challenge. So Sherry makes a disgusted sound in the throat, almost a growl, and he's like, Ugh, fewer girls come to the tower to be trained than once did, but they still come. Most leave, never learning to sense the true source, much less touch it. A few learn enough not to harm themselves before they go, and a bare handful can aspire to be raised to the accepted, and fewer still wear the shawl. It's a hard life, hard discipline, and every novice fights to hold on to attain the ring and the shawl, even when they are so afraid to cry themselves to sleep at night. They struggle to hold on. And you three, who have more ability born in you than I'd ever hoped to see in my lifetime, left the tower without permission. Witches. Eh, 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 tuck that away for later. Uh, ran away with not even half trained. That's true. Uh, I'd be surprised if it's even half trained. Um, like irresponsible children. Oh, they, they are that. That's 100%. Stayed away for months. Yeah, yeah, they did. Although technically staying away is kind of a stretch. And now you ride back in as if nothing has happened, and if you could take up your training again on the morrow. Failing! And the three, except the jumped, as if they've been caught eavesdropping, and uh, a dark, curly-haired woman stepped forward, and they're all young women, but still older than naive. So, late 20s, probably. <clears throat> and... Nynaeve's rapid acceptance had been quite extraordinary and in normal course of things. It takes years for a novice to earn the Great Serpent Ring they wore. It would take more before they could hope to be raised to full eyes to die. So Sherem's like, well, take them to their rooms and keep them there. They may have bread, cold broth, and water until the Omerlin seat says otherwise. And if one of them speaks even a word, you may take her to the kitchens and set her to scrubbing pots. <clears throat> so she spins and stalks away. Even her back has, like, anger written all over it. 
So failing, eyes Egwene and the others, almost hoping for them to say something, especially Nynaeve, who had a glower like a mask, and Faelaine's round face has no love for those who broke the rules so extravagantly, and less for one like Nynaeve, a wilder who'd earned her ring without ever being a novice, who had channeled power before she even entered Tarvalon. When it became obvious that Nynaeve meant to keep her anger to herself, Faelaine shrugged and said, well, when the Amarlin sends for you, you'll probably be stilled. <laughs> like... Yes, you would accept and totally know this. <clears throat> but then another of the accepted, Theodrin, is like, oh, give over. And she has a bit of a willowy neck, and she's the oldest of the three. And she's got coppery skin, tell you she's uh, Nomani. And a graceful way of moving, she's like, oh, I'll take you to Nynaeve, lucky Nynaeve. Um, it's like, I am also a wilder, and I'll hold you to Sherry Amsadai's orders, but I won't bait you, so come. So Nynaeve gives Egwene and Elaine a worried look. I'm like, you should be worried about failing, but Theodrin's like, oh, I don't know, I, I, this is gonna be bad. And Faelaine's like, ugh, wilders. Almost like it's a curse. But she stares at Egwene, and then the third accepted, who's this pretty apple-cheeked young woman, Station just up besides Elaine, and her mouth was turned up like she had a smile, but the stern way she gave a look, it's like, uh, no nonsense at this point in time, Elaine, so catch yourself before you wreck yourself, essentially. So, Egwene returned Faelaine's stare with as much calm as she could manage, and she helped a measure of haughty, silent contempt that Elaine had adopted. Your intelligence has not been aiding you pretty much up to now, so stop trying to rely on it, Egwene. Not to mention copying people who have literally lived their whole lives with haughtiness and you're like, I'll just borrow that for a couple seconds. You're probably not good at it. But Egwene's like, oh, Faelaine's going to be a red odd jaw. This one definitely will choose the reds. <laughs> <coughs> I'm sorry, that just, I find that absolutely hilarious. <clears throat> it's like, well, I have my own troubles to deal with. Uh, what are they going to do to us? And she met the Aes Sedai of the Tower, not these women. Now, the whole Red Aja with Faelaine thing, tuck that away for later. Because that'll be an interesting storyline. Um, it's like, alright, well come along. It's bad enough to have stand guard on the door all day without standing here. Come on. So, Gwaine takes a deep breath and grips Elaine's hand and they follow. And it's like, oh, light, let them be healing Matt. I'm like, oh, well, yeah. Maybe they would have gotten here faster if you hadn't screwed everything up, but okay. <laughs> and that's the end of the chapter. So, yeah, hopefully everyone enjoyed it. Um, I find it extremely frustrating every time I have to deal with Egwene and Elaine and occasionally naive with this, but their arcs, thankfully, do have some character development in them, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse, and I'll leave you guessing for those of you who don't know as to who and which of the options. But yeah, what did you guys think? Uh, did you enjoy the absolute disaster that is novices and accepted doing what they're not supposed to do pretty much every opportunity or did you find it half as annoying as I did? But yeah, um, I'd love to hear from you guys, any type of messages or just comments and stuff. It's always fun to, to read some stuff, 
but you can reach me at uh, my email for this podcast, which is talesofaredarm at gmail.com or on Facebook, which is just Tales of a Red Arm. And on Twitter, it's at Tales of a Red Arm. Um, feel free to comment or message if possible, or you can email me directly and I can hear straight from you. But aside from that, uh, I think that'll be pretty much it. We'll have chapter 12 coming up and that'll be short and brief, but interesting. I think we'll get kind of a, almost a recap in that chapter, but we'll also learn some interesting things about what went on in this time period around the world a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. So thanks guys for hanging about. Um, hopefully you'll join us again next time and get to hear some wonderful more Wheel of Time stuff. So thanks everybody for stopping by and we'll see you again next time. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day and on the girls will spend our pay and when we're done then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows. We'll toss the dice however they fall And struggle the girls be they short or tall And follow young Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall And struggle the girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he goes To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows Here yeah. 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 yeah.